Welcome to The Brand Collective, a podcast about our favorite brands, featuring stories from the marketers and creatives behind them. I'm your host, Nick Ross. With me, Mackenzie Koss, marketer extraordinaire. Let's get into it. Hello, Brand Collective podcast family. Today, we are excited to have Morgan Smith, the Senior Project Manager at Campfire Labs. Welcome on, Morgan. We're so excited to have you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Morgan. Thank you for joining us. It's nice to see you in this context. Uh, I, I must admit, Morgan and I are friends. We see each other outside of the corporate world of marketing. To get started, do you mind giving us a kind of a brief history of your career and your trajectory uh, up until this point? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Nick. Uh, also, by the way, Nick makes incredible dinners. If you're ever lucky enough to join him, uh, oh my goodness, <laughs> some great food. So I started uh, my path um, in journalism. So that was my major in college, and um, found it through kind of a roundabout way. I think it's silly to kind of have to pick one thing that you want to do for the rest of your life when you're only 17. But found journalism eventually uh, and loved every second of it. Um, so after college, I worked for a magazine in Washington, D.C., where I was the, the assistant editor there. And I did everything uh, from writing stories to um, working with layout and design for the monthly publication and uh, just really got my hands dirty and producing like a monthly magazine, which was a phenomenal first gig to have. Um, but I, I remember this so vividly. I was on the Metro one morning going to work. And I was like, I'm so young to sit in a cubicle all day from like nine to five every single week. And so I decided to quit <laughs> my job and uh, travel abroad. So it was supposed to be a two week trip to Colombia with a friend. And it turned into a six month solo backpacking adventure in South America. But while I was doing that, I kind of started my freelance writing career there just to kind of supplement the, the funds while traveling. So I uh, started that with connections that I made in DC and um, started freelancing for a number of folks while traveling. And then eventually realized that my, my time traveling was coming to an end. I was gonna head back to the States, settle down, so to speak. And so I landed in Denver again on a whim. We just moved here with the suitcase, hoped that it would work out and it has uh, so far, but I, once I got to Denver, that's when I kind of my freelance writing career really flourished. So really honed in on my own business and um, got a handful of clients here just through word of mouth and, and connections, which again, very lucky that that's how that happened. And it was all going really well. But I missed having coworkers and having relationships in person. And so I found TEDx Mile High, which is based here in Denver. If, you, if you're not familiar with TEDx, so TED is kind of the parent brand. Um, and then TEDx, uh, they're individual chapters basically around the world that produce the TED Talks that we are all very familiar with. So they have a local kind of chapter here in Denver and they were hiring for their marketing team. And so I applied and, and joined. And that's how I really got um, kind of back that in-person uh, touch point back in my, in my work life. Um, and so I was do working for them on the side and doing the freelance thing. And then the freelance thing is just hard. If you've ever done it, you know, <laughs> it, it's really hard. Yeah, very much so. Uh, it is a yeah. full-time job promoting yourself and then another full-time job creating the work that you're actually uh, being paid for. 
Yeah. And you can't turn it off. So I needed kind of more stability and balance in my life. So I applied, I was thinking about going back to the nine to five world. And that's when I found Campfire Labs. Um, and so in May of this, of 2021, I joined the Campfire team as a senior project manager. And I was kind of able to find my, the perfect balance for me where I was still involved in editorial and content creation, but I was kind of focused on on the project management side of things. And if you know me well, you know that I'm a sucker for to-do lists and checklists and <laughs> I'm very organized. Um, and so it was being at Campfire in this role is just really the perfect balance for me to be um, in a sweet spot. I love the stories behind where we are because they're often so much richer than a resume would give. Like they're, they're often filled with figuring out who you are and exploring new territories. It's just this constant evolution. I really appreciate it. Can you talk a little bit about Campfire Labs? And so we are a content marketing agency. Um, we craft stories for brands that inspire and compel readers to take action, boil it down into a sentence. And so we really believe that storytelling is an effective way to reach an audience and for brands specifically to reach their customers. And we believe that storytelling is engaging and memorable and just, we are a team of journalists, which is a really important piece of who we are. And we really prioritize interviews in, in what we do too, because that's, I think that's the best way to tell a story is by talking to people themselves and sharing their stories. So that's that's how we do it. Um, and we're, yeah, small but nimble, small and nimble team. There are 11 of us. Um, and we're, we're growing quickly, but it's a, it's a really cool, cool company, um, to be a part of. Awesome. Yeah. The power of storytelling and the campfire comes from like, uh, that primal, like storytelling as the means of communication, right? How it's like yeah. tale as old as time. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love that. And they also have some pretty cool, uh, philanthropic angle, right? Like we, they, uh, we contribute 50% of profits toward uh, the climate challenge. So it's a really cool thing to be a part of. And I think the 50% number, it's not something you typically hear from companies. So, um, we're all really proud that it's something we can do and we're really passionate about it. Um, we, that we're able to do it as a, as a result of our like individual and collective work. Um, and so we, we kind of choose a couple of nonprofits mostly that are doing grassroots work in the climate realm um, to give kind of these grants to each year. So pretty neat. So awesome. Can you talk about how a journalistic approach uh, separates Campfire Labs content from others in the content creating landscape? Yeah, I think journalists are so well suited for storytelling because of their training and the processes and the techniques and the skill sets that they use and uh, have in their tool belt. Uh, I think a journalist approaches the piece of content with an intention and a process that prioritizes truth uh, and also prioritizes adding value for a reader. You, you need to find a hook for a story. You need to find an angle for a story. You need to make sure that it's worthwhile for the reader. Like the why should I care piece? Like why? Exactly. What makes this important? Yeah. And I, so I think that pairs well for brands because the goal there is to share interesting, authentic pieces that not only humanize the brand itself, but also create meaningful and engaging experiences for the reader and kind of create that connection and, and close that bridge between customer and brand. 
this concept of humanizing or or making a brand more human, which is uh, it's a very popular theme in the conversations that we've had. How do you relate to that personally? I feel like it's such a unique expression of a brand's mission to be like, we want our brand to feel more human, like less like a robot or like, you know, like it's, what are we coming from? I mean, stories have been around forever. Back to the campfire analogy. Yeah, I love that analogy. <laughs> also, humans just want and crave connection. We need it. We want it, whether we're like consciously thinking about it or not. And so I think like a story that a brand creates is going to be so much more interesting than a top 10 reasons why you need to use this product. Totally. You're just able to yes. relate to it. You're able to empathize with the character. You're able right. to- It builds like, a rapport with that identity, that brand identity. Yeah. So in your experience, what do you think makes a great storyteller? I think uh, most importantly, a great storyteller evokes emotion through through their piece. Um and you're, you're probably not going to remember all the facts and all the details that happened in a story, but a reader can walk away with an emotional response. Um, like, a, you know, the book that makes you cry, for example. Um, so I think you can walk away with them more similar feelings and memorable qualities from a great story. Um, and I think a great storyteller does that by using the five senses. So really transporting you to a different place, letting you escape reality for a bit. Um, and I think they hook you from the get-go. They get you invested in the story in the first few paragraphs and make you want to read more and know more, learn what happened to that guy who did that thing. Um, and I think to do that, you really need to know your audience well, right? So I think the more you know about how your audience operates and the things that they're feeling, the things that they're going through, the more that you can make your content relatable and the more that you can adapt and adjust things to kind of meet and match um, what they what they need and what they're looking for. But Nick, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, because I know you have experience with the moth. Yeah, big time. Like, are there any differences? Like, do what makes a great storyteller, like, in a verbal kind of way? I often think about this. I think that uh, I often turn to you know, brevity is the soul of wit. It's it's being able to, to pack the most punch in the smallest amount of time uh, without going in too many tangents. No, I feel like editing is is one of the, the best tools that we have as storytellers is knowing that something can be multiple stories and just have different beginnings and ends. And those beginnings and ends can sometimes overlap and you don't need to mention the other stuff. Um, but I don't know, obviously with uh, storytelling, like the storytelling that happens at the moth, personality is huge. You know, sometimes you just see someone who shines, who has this sparkle to them that you can't really put your finger on. You're just like, I just like listening to this person speak because they're incredible. Um, and other times there's just a beautiful craftsmanship to the story where it starts in a place you know, the action happens, that person changes, learns something and ends in a place. And that journey is what makes it really poignant. Um, but I don't know, there's a lot more, obviously, to, to take it all back to that human connection. I think in a live storytelling setting, probably similar to TEDx, there's such a human connection because you see the person and you feel how they're communicating their ideas and communicating their, their journey. Um, is there a why? I love that you brought up like why, why? And I, my wife always says, why should I care? 
You know, like whenever yeah. I'm thinking about a new story, it's like, why should I care? And it's good to think about that in each aspect of your story and like know that there's a lot of stuff that maybe we're like, oh, but we have to mention this. But if it isn't integral to the, the actual story you're telling, maybe you don't. Yeah, there's an intentionality. Exactly. There. Coming back to your role at Campfire, have you been a part of anything at Campfire that has really inspired you or really stuck out? So Campfire started working with a company called Afresh, and they are focused on eliminating food waste and making fresh food more accessible. And their product is this AI-powered technology that helps grocery retailers specifically like optimize their fresh food inventory and ordering and kind of operations. That's kind of who they are as a company. But we wrote a, an ebook for them um, recently about the reality of food waste and looking at the impact that food waste has, where it's coming from and how um, retailers and grocery stores are creating it basically and what they can do about it. So we, um, interviewed grocery executives and think tanks and academics basically, and just talked about food waste and like what it is, why it exists and how we can prevent uh, food waste from happening. And it's so, I personally love that topic. I think just like from a sustainability angle, that's something I'm passionate about and like love that we're able to share, but it's not like pushing afresh. Like it's not pushing the company. It's not pushing the brand on you. You're just, educating the reader about what food waste is, how you're contributing to it. You know, it's kind of more impactful than selling it to them. It's opening people's eyes to a, a, an issue that maybe hasn't been revealed to them. Um, yeah. I love that. I also picture these, I feel like I've seen some sort of uh, YouTube video or Dateline segment, something, some sort of new segment where there's just piles and piles of onions in like warehouses that never get eaten. <laughs> People are like, yeah. these onions, they're never going to see the light of day. <laughs> um, but it does seem like that's, it's such a, a, like a now problem where we need to be more conscious of addressing these things. It's so cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. What so that's it, been a cool one. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. And were there any sort of noticeable from this article or how, how do you measure success from your point of view? Yeah. So at Campfire, we, um, that's something we're talking about, um, as, as a company and what we offer, because a lot of the work that we do is really, um, collaborating with the client on a story, creating that story, and then really handing that story back to them. Um, and they're the ones that kind of implement it and do what they wish with it and put it out there in the world. Um, so we're, we're wrapping our heads around what it looks like to kind of see what that impact actually is. Um, when they put it out there. Um, so TBD on that. <laughs> but we, from Campfire's point of view, we just prioritize, like we just want to be really proud of what we create and, and what we're sharing um, with our clients. I think that also comes from a team, being a team of journalists. And then we want to like feel so proud of like what we're doing and yes, like that's a great piece and, and feel good about it. So that's kind of our personal metric of success. Yeah. I love that. And it's, you guys are growing and it feels like if you're retaining clients or, you know, building your roster, it feels like that's some success right there. If you were to give advice to creatives that want to bring a human element to their brand, is there anything that you would, any advice that comes to mind? I think I'd first say, don't be afraid to try it. 
I think don't be, don't stick to the status quo. Um, just because you're supposed to be putting out four blogs a month doesn't mean that you have to put out four blogs a month just for the sake of numbers. Um, so there's a little bit of a like quantity or quality over quantity um, can be better. So just be free to like experiment and test it out because you don't know what works until you try it. So that's the first thing I'd say. Um, I think too, I would challenge marketing teams to think about a particular campaign or a piece of content without the product or the service or the specific call to action in mind. Um, like take it, take that call to action out of the equation and think about how to create an experience or an emotion for your audience instead. A lot of our content at Campfire is actually what we call brand diagnostic. So I'll credit my editorial manager, Mike, yeah. for that phrase. He, we use, um, typically we use an 80-20 or a 90-10 rule in our content where a piece is 80% like narrative-based and 20% brand-based. So back to that, a, a fresh example, 80% of it is education, awareness, um, storytelling. And then the 20% kind of near the end is like where we actually bring in the client, the brand, and kind of judge them up a little bit. So that's kind of interesting to think about too, that, that 80-20 rule as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I think too that uh, if you want to humanize your brand, be bold and be edgy, be funny and be personable. Um, you know, no one wants to read a stuffy <laughs> blog article. <laughs> um, so just be, yeah, be, be down to try things and, um, you know, authenticity and realness, it can go a long way. Yeah, no, preach. I I love that. And I know you're involved in TEDx. Can you talk a little bit about that? I'm really curious because that's such a cool organization. You ever heard of a TED Talk? Cultural Touchdown. <laughs> uh, so yeah, working for TEDx Mile High is phenomenal. Um, so I'm, I serve as their exhibits director. And people may not know that the TED Talks that you watch online come from live in-person events all around the world. So TEDx Mile High in particular, we pre-pandemic, we have two large in-person events a year. Um, and I was kind of responsible for the attendee experience at those events. Um, so that means curating exhibits and experiences that really engage um, our audience uh, at, at these events and specifically working with nonprofits and organizations in the Denver community to create uh, interactive spaces. Um, so it's a really cool job to have. Um, have loved doing it along the way and have met some really incredible people. One of my favorite exhibits was um, with Our Bazaar, which is an organization that supports and celebrates refugee and immigrant entrepreneurs and artisans. Um, really cool. You should look them up. They, we worked together to create a space for attendees to create their own spice blends from a few different areas of the world. So you would come up as an attendee and you would like take a little spoonful of this and a little spoonful of that. And you would talk to um, refugees and immigrants from these areas and hear their journeys and, and their stories. And sh they would share how they cook with the spices. And it was just a really, really cool uh, thing to kind of witness come to life on event day. So that was probably my favorite one though. That's amazing. Do you get that how the sausage is made <laughs> feeling or is it, do you constantly go like, wow, these people are incredible. Like every, every Ted talk that you witness or every Ted 
uh, experience that you help curate? Oh yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, <laughs> people are doing badass stuff. It's I know. Really what am I thinking? I'm like, you're gonna be like, oh, these people are such a drag. They're just so smart and well spoken <laughs> about these topics that mean something to the world. Yeah, you get a little bit of like celebrity status when you're backstage. You're like, oh, can I can I talk to you? Can I say hi? Yeah, they're cool. They're cool people. Yeah, I love that. And isn't there some because a lot of the TED Talks that show up on TED.com are from these sort of satellite regional events, right? Like the TEDx speakers can then have their TED Talk be featured on Big TED or I don't know what yeah, it's referred to. exactly. That's, that's how we breathe it too. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so, it's such an exciting day when one of our TEDx Mile High speakers is promoted to TED.com. Um, it, it is a big deal um, because at that point they're pretty much inevitably going to go viral um, and be watched at least a million times, right? And so it's a huge like celebratory moment for all of us. Yeah. Up next is Stand With The Brand. So first up, PlayStation. They're calling it PlayStation to Play and it's a campaign partnering with restaurants in Australia to create famous video game dishes because apparently in some of these video games are so realistic and amazing looking that they're actually bringing them to life. So the restaurants are part of this deliciously creative idea and it's the Italian Bowl in Australia and Bistro Morgan that are working in partnership with Deliveroo so they get to experience the dishes in real life that they see when they're playing. Um, this is a tactic by PlayStation to bring virtual into reality. So almost bringing a human aspect to it and kind of like a play on metaverse. I'm going to drop that in here because they're bringing reality and virtual together. Morgan, based on this, do you stand with the brand PlayStation or do you take a seat? I My only question here is how is the food? Like if it is it good? Does it taste good? <laughs> Yeah, that's I, okay, a big so, time question. I know. I researched a little, like I dove a little bit deeper down a rabbit hole and watching some of like the little video clips of what they were making on the video game. And then in real life, it looked amazing. So I can actually say that they're very good. Okay. Um, I don't know about like five stars, but like. Like a 4.1, you know? Yeah, like maybe, yeah. Like you'd go, <laughs> but you wouldn't maybe make a reservation a month out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm down. If it if it's good food, then why not? So can I right. just for clarity, can I so yes. you see a bowl of ramen in your video game. What video game? Yeah. Did you mention which video game? Did I just space? No, out? it's just like PlayStation. They didn't mention which one exactly, but they're basically taking like any of the fun ones that have just like you said, the ramen or like a crazy hot dog or something. And making it in real life, which I actually don't know how they got the recipes or if they just had to make them up because... You just make them up. <laughs> yeah, you're just like, this is what it looks like? Okay. <laughs> just chef's challenge. Just yeah, look at this Look exactly. at this clip from Grand Theft Auto <laughs> and, make, <laughs> and make this food. Um, it's actually based off of Grand Theft Auto, I'm pretty sure. 99%. Really? Sure. No, I don't oh. know. Well, I feel like that's uh, one of those I just think that'd be funny. immersive yeah. kind of thing. I mean, we're not talking like Avatar style games, probably no. where it's like <laughs> leaves. Yeah, it's like some strange, <laughs> yeah. you know, 
alien world food. This is the Trimble Grizzle Bowl. <laughs> you know, like it's like, it has to be kind of realistic. I don't know. This is it's interesting because you said there's just a couple restaurants in Australia doing it or there's. Yeah, they just wanted to, they partnered with Deliveroo, which is kind of hilarious to me that they named it Deliveroo because it reminds me of like the kangaroos there, which I think right. is a play on is that their like, version of like, yeah. I think that's their version of like Grubhub or like yeah. Uber Eats. Yeah. Makes sense. DoorDash. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess we might have to like take it if you go to Australia in the next year, if they're still doing it, I think it'd be worth it. Yeah. I like the, I like the creativity behind it though. I'm like bringing food into this. Okay. I'm it feels like a, yeah. a pretty cool intro to the next evolution. Cause it used to be like, if a yes. video game was so popular, maybe it would spawn a movie or it would spawn a TV yeah. show and people would be like, Oh my God, it's like that game I love. And now I'm more attached to these characters. But now these worlds yeah. are so intricate and realistic that they're like, we got to get this food. People are dying to eat this food. It looks <laughs> so good on this game. <laughs> I want to know more. I want to, it's it's a cool yeah. thing, but I want to know like, is this is this a game where the food is just so mouthwatering and it's digital portrayal that people are like, dang. <laughs> They broke the mold on this, on these graphics. <laughs> I can almost smell it. It might be. I can almost smell it. <laughs> I think it'd be cool if they bring it to the States though. Like that's yeah. what I want to know is if they would bring it to different areas in the world. And if they're just like testing it there first to see how it does. Um, I'm game for that. I yeah. was like trying new food. Someone's so. going to be the like, first like Yelp reviewer that only does like video game based food. <laughs> oh, <laughs> You just, you might've just predicted the future, Nick. Yeah, I like that's, that. <laughs> that's my forte, predicting the future. For such a specific audience though, right? Like I don't, yes. aim, I don't, if Same. my team, if my team listens to this, they are going to laugh, like they're all huge gamers and they'll just go off on rants. And I'm like, I have no idea what. Cool. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> like I probably wouldn't order this food because I have no idea. Right. Use PlayStation. Like, I don't know. So, so yeah, I, I appreciate the creativity for sure. Yes. Yeah. And bringing cool. like the five senses off the screen. Yes. That. That's the part that I think is cool. Yeah. So the next one actually might be my favorite that I've ever done in a bit, but uh, Iceland <laughs> for various reasons. Um, you're going to, if you haven't watched the video of this, you have to after this. Um, Iceland has hit a parody. Uh, and yes, you heard that correctly. They are utilizing hot tips from the metaverse video to talk about the reality that is Iceland, how beautiful it is, and that it has been developed for millions of years. The main character portrayed is Zach, I'm going to butcher his last name, but Mosbergson. This is totally made up, but it's showing us around Icelandverse, they're calling it, with a smashingly handsome haircut identical to Mark Zuckerberg. And it's kind of hard not to just love and get involved in this commercial. Um, so they said they wanted to connect these things that we have in this very interesting, amazing technology that is showing us this metaverse. Uh, we wanted to use the opportunity to remind people that we have this alternate, alternative universe that's right here in reality, and you can enjoy it without the need for VR headsets, and it's closer than many people think. Uh, it 
bit brings a bit of Iceland humor and staying true to their roots. And it's been viewed for over 6 million times, uh, which has greatly exceeded their expectations because they just did it kind of as a play off of it and had no idea how it was going to go, which I can give them a huge hat tip to just testing out the waters. Um, and what was once a small project might be a regular appearance in the future, and they might make multiples of this character. Uh, most of the coverage has been organic, which has been amazing to see. And I give a huge hat tip again to their marketing and PR teams. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg actually loved the video and even commented that he needs to visit and make a trip to Iceland verse soon and was glad to see that they were wearing sunscreen in the video. Um, Morgan. <laughs> Based on this information, and I'm sure you viewed it since I had the video in there or have seen it a bit, do you stand with Icelandverse or do you take a seat? I stand with the creativity and the video, but I would not visit Icelandverse, <laughs> an alternate reality. Um, yes. But I, this is, if you haven't watched this video, it is hilarious. I literally laughed out loud. Um, it's, it's fantastic. And then I looked it up too a little bit and they turned it around within like five days after met like the whole metaverse thing came out. So it was, yeah. that was quick. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. That was nimble. Uh, it was awesome. Yeah. I love the sunscreen, how he's just overly sunscreened. Yes. <laughs> um, that made me slightly uncomfortable with that amount of sunscreen though. I was like, I don't know if I could sit there with that like on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a bit of a story. Yeah, I agree. I feel like this, what a cool thing it is just to kind of take it and run with it. And obviously there was mm -hmm. probably a creative team that was really excited to slap together a script and almost, you know, they probably just ran and, you know, kind of run and gun style, got yeah. this, got this produced. Um, and I mean, 6 million, that's a pretty good amount of million people. Decent. You know, nobody's been to Iceland. Iceland seems like a magical place. And I love that. It's like, actually on my. Yeah. I love that they were it's on my top five list. Uh, parroting the fact that that metaverse ad that's sort of, you know, big Mark Zuckerberg's uh, announcement of his new venture was was yeah. kind of like, isn't reality kind of boring? Like, don't you want to play <laughs> ping pong with someone in Japan right now? You know, like it was like. Yeah. It was kind of weird, this sort of cynicism, I thought, in that announcement that was like, get ready for actual fun because your lives have been a little bit drab. Slap on your 10-pound headset and, you know, <laughs> don't run into your wall. Uh, but then I, I do feel like Iceland was like, guess what? We have a magical place filled with these beautiful kind of otherworldly landscapes that you can just come to. Um, yeah, I thought that was very cool. I definitely okay. stand. It was very, yeah, it was a very bold move. Um, yes, it was weird and it was hilarious and yeah, huge props to them. His haircut also just reminded me of Dumb and Dumber. Like, I don't know if anyone else picked that up, but I just like that super. Yeah, like the baby like, bowl. The cut. I was like, oh yeah, I was like, I, I like these vibes <laughs> that you guys have got going. This is good. This is good. Yeah. I'll totally visit real Iceland. I would love to. It's been a place that I've wanted to go for a long time. That's It does yeah. seem like a magical place. I love all the music that comes out of Iceland. 
to, to finish off, we just ask these three questions that we ask every single one of our guests. So the first one is, what have you done recently for the very first time? Um, been interviewed for a podcast. Yeah, this is your first podcast? Yeah, <laughs> yeah first podcast. I love um, that. Great work. You, you seem like a pro. No, it's helpful to, uh, it's been fun to chat with you guys. Um, I think outside of this, though, we uh, have been raising a puppy. What? We got a Totally did a pandemic puppy. Oh, so um, that's been congrats. the past, past little bit. And um, it is a journey. Y'all. <laughs> you haven't gotten a puppy and tried to train it. And yeah, that's been a whole adventure. But he is the cutest, sweetest little boy I've ever encountered. Any sort of surprising takeaways from, from raising it? Like things that sort of you could have never anticipated having not raised a puppy? Probably just the patience required. And like, especially the first bit, so he's a rescue, rescue pup. And the first month there was so much, I, I cried a lot. <laughs> like, I was, oh. It was very tough. He, he um, was very shy and timid. And I was like, what am I doing wrong? And oh. it was a lot, but um, so it was emotional uh, at first. And then a lot of patience required throughout the whole process, but we're in a better place now. We're all good. Yeah. That's beautiful. Remember that? <laughs> I just thought of the movie Dances with Wolves. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen it, but it was a classic. Yes. Doesn't age well. Don't watch it now. Uh, but <laughs> him, throughout the whole movie, he's like coaxing this wolf to come and, and you know, interact and meet and gain trust. And I just thought about that. It's not relevant to this conversation. <laughs> uh, our next question is, uh, if you were invited to a show and tell, right now uh, is there anything that you think you'd bring yeah i would probably bring a painting that i have um that i got when i was in ecuador um it was from this four-day trek that i did um it's called the kilotoa loop trek and you go from village to village in the andes and there are rivers and cows and alpacas and volcanoes and then at the end there's this huge beautiful crater lake um and it was just the most phenomenal four days of my backpacking adventure. And at the end, I got this little painting um, from this local guy who just sits next to this big crater lake and paints all day. And um, uh, so that was just, yeah. So that's probably what I'd bring and just share more stories from my my trip abroad. So. Lastly, uh, if you had to give one piece of advice to a younger version of yourself, uh, of any specific moment from your journey, what advice do you think you would impart? Yeah, I, there's this, what's the saying? It's like, we make plans and God laughs or something. Like, I think <laughs> just, just go with the flow. <laughs> like you can't, you can't plan out five years, 10 years ahead. Like ultimately you can try your best, but, um, just take whatever comes and and accept it and roll with it and have humility and it'll it'll all work out. Um, I think that's what I'd share. Yeah. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, is there anything that you're looking forward to in this new year? Yeah, it's going to be a really exciting year for Campfire. We are growing our project management team so we can better serve our clients and then better support our internal writers and just really build out our editorial management system. And it's just going to be a really exciting year. Thanks, Maureen. You killed it on your first podcast. Thanks so much. 
You're listening to a Brand Folder podcast, where we like to say, strong brands live here. Join us as we build the Brand Collective, a podcast for anyone curious about the people behind the brands that we all love. We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe. And if you feel inspired, leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. Until next time, this has been the Brand Collective. 